0: survivors and welcome to Fairy, a Legend of Zelda podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 13 and in this edition we've met with a terrible fate and have just three days to stop the sky from falling in our retrospective on The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. I'm your host Sai and joining me in Clock Town this week taking off his fire button let's play mask and putting on his first aid spray podcasting mask and please don't do any nightmare inducing screams in the transition it's fire button steve valance
1: oh, temptation to scream is so hard hello
0: <laughs> and our special guest on this episode doing the same thing over and over again to get the right result no i'm not talking about saving Terminator. i'm talking about game development from the youtube channel let's talk game design it's zane Z slash whatever as your twitter <laughs> says
2: <laughs> um, i go with link just for canonical purposes
0: <laughs> you know my link this time around I, for this playthrough um previously like two days before i booted it up i had a friend with uh, a conversation with a friend about mario's name being mario mario uh what's link's surname and apparently in some interview with nintendo they said his surname is link so in this playthrough of majora's mask i was link link the subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but also to create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. Our musical shout-out in this episode goes to Emily Hopkins, uh, who you can find on our YouTube channel and emilyharpist.com gives you a good idea of what exactly to expect to break up the conversation in this episode her cover of the song of healing a rather important piece of music from majora's mask uh, will be there to sort of soothe us between this conversation it's really very good i hope you look forward to it and if you do like it check out her channel and her website links are in the description of this podcast wherever you're listening um and before we get to our guest, it's always worth pointing out how we got here. Um, this poll follows a couple of kinda darker episodes. We sort of recently in the bonus episode Pantheon covered Silent Hill 2 and Heavy Rain, and I thought, these are a bit emotionally heavy, let's let's look to Nintendo, let's cover our first ever Nintendo game on the show. Um and I thought about, you know, some stuff that's Resident Evil adjacent, Luigi's Mansion, stuff like that. And of course, the Dark Zelda game, which is Majora's Mask. And now having replayed it, I feel like we're just doing more emotional turmoil episodes. We'll definitely get to that. Uh, But it very much won handily in the sort of Nintendo-themed poll. Uh, So I'm very excited to talk about this with our special guest, Zed, or Zane, um, from Let's Talk Game Design and also LTGDX as well, your brand new YouTube channel. Um, So the first place to talk about is, you know, your... YouTube channel is fairly self-explanatory in its name. It's about game design, which is uh, something that a lot of people, it's very daunting to, I imagine, but the way that uh, Zane handles it on his YouTube channel is very entertaining, and speaking as someone who's obviously a fan of games, but personally, I haven't had really any experience with um, any development so the it's like coding and stuff like that's completely lost on me it's more as far as i can tell from the stuff that i've watched more on why you do something a certain way rather than the minutia. um how did you get into both the game development thing but also the youtube channel thing was one before the other and how did they kind of coalesce
2: yeah so i spent a, a long time when i was younger kind of playing with game development which i think At some point, if you're into video games, I think Mm. you always have the thought of, like, I should make a video game. Um, And people kind of go a various stage down that path. Some people go all the way, and and that becomes their career. Uh, Some people look at, let's say, Unity, and they're like, I don't want to touch that. That'll do. I'm going to go off and raise horses (laughs) or something. Mm. Um, So I kind of got this background of using uh, a very visual um, coding system prior to that stuff that started with Click and Play. Uh, which moved on to the Games Factory and then Clickteam Fusion, which, if you don't know click team Fusion, it's the thing that Five Nights at Freddy's was made in, which I think is the thing that it's most famous for now. Um, and because of all that, when, when kind of the pandemic struck, uh, I found myself... Uh, I was in the middle of writing a lot of novels. I was kind of thinking I had a career as a novelist, which I still might one day. Who knows? Um, but I found it very difficult to write at home, and the environment that I was in didn't kind of go along with this this path I was on. But it was very good for, for playing around with game development. Um, because obviously I was in front of a computer most of the time working from home with my normal boring day job.
3: Mm.
2: And in doing that, I thought, this is something that I had a massive passion for before. And now I kind of have this time and this space to kind of devote to that. Uh, and as I was doing that, I thought, well... There's a lot of people on YouTube who are incredibly talented at doing the development side of things. They can talk you through going from nothing to having a 3D sprawling open world in the space of like six hours worth of video. Um, but there wasn't a lot of what's always interested me, which is the as you say, kind of the why. Why we do these things, mm. what impact it has. And um, it, it also... <laughs> I always say the, the origin of Let's Talk Game Design came out of spite, really, because I saw a lot of people talking about, um, there, there was one particular thing that was all about boss battles and how important boss battles still are, and whether they are or not. Uh, and I'm a Zelda fan, so to me, boss battles are kind of a key part of the experience. And there was a lot of discourse about, like, boss battles are antiquated and they should be scrapped from video games forever. And because it was on the internet, obviously it made me angry. And part of my brain just kind of went, you should share your opinions in a, in a platform that people would respect because you can kind of back it up with a bit of development stuff. Mm. And it all sort of coalesced into like, let's talk about what I think about game design with some game development stuff to kind of reinforce and demonstrate the points. Um, and I, I just kind of started throwing that together. And that's where, where LTGD kind of came from. Uh, and it's sort of developing along that quite nicely so far. Fingers crossed, you know. Um, but it's been amazing. It's it's a, it's a great little kind of path that I've stumbled on. Mm. Partially out of, I guess, being at a, a loss of what to do with myself and then partially out of spite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, not bad reasons to start anything, either of them. <laughs> it is it is pretty cool to see how far you've come in that space of time um, in terms of the quality of the content um, and as always, with our guests, um, hit up the description of this podcast for links to Zed's channel. And also, as I say, just from an entertainment perspective, you know, a game design, if handled by the wrong person, can be very dry, but there is, you know, some, some love and some humour in there. The um, the stuff that Steve introduced me to on your channel um, is actually kind of sort of like where we, we've come full circle with it because... Um, it was the Zelda playthrough you did where you went through Zelda 1 talking about why it's good and specific points and why certain things were done and, you know, just talking about it from a development perspective, um, which was, yeah, it's really interesting and it's really engaging. So, my question, of course, uh, is how did you get into the Zelda franchise and uh, what games stand out the most to you? Perhaps without necessarily spoiling the uh, full review for this episode, I guess.
2: Sure. Uh, I think that. There are, there are, I think, two that are most important. The first one, as you said, I did a what I called quite egotistically the definitive playthrough. Because <laughs> um, it, was, it wasn't it was my first video game, but it was the first one that I remember being engaged in, mm-hmm. I suppose. The one that kind of grabbed me in the way that, we all, that we're all all familiar with, with having something kind of latches onto the part of your brain that says, this is a thing that you really get. This yeah. is a thing that's for you. Um. And, and that was the first time that I remember kind of being really, really into a video game. And then it kind of followed on, you know, I kept up with the series from there. And then there was a point in 1998 where I was in a shopping center and they had uh, a, a shop called Electronics Boutique, which I don't think exists anymore. Um, and in the window, they had this display and it was showing the trailer for Ocarina of Time and... I remember seeing it, and I was 11 years old, and I thought this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mm. This is it. This is the, this, and I did that thing where you're like, "It'll never get better than that. This is it. It's the pinnacle of graphics. We'll never have better graphics than these 64-bit polygons. <laughs> That's everything to me." And and Ocarina of Time kind of became the next big thing that that I really connected to that well. Mm. And then I I've just kind of followed along, and I've never been. The, the, the thing that I think has always kept me with Zelda is I've never been disappointed in one. Whereas I think with long running series, especially when you think we're in the 30, uh, 30, 35th year of Zelda now, mm. you know, for something to go that yep. long and, and it's, there, there are kind of ups and downs to the series, but there's never been something that I'm like, I really didn't enjoy that. Mm. Um, yeah. And it, there's just always something to it that just grabs me and says, yeah, this is, this is a thing for you. Um, and and it's it's not and I've I've often said to people, kind of semi-seriously that every other game that comes out is just something for me to play while I'm waiting for Zelda to release. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like the the timeline of video games is just punctuated by Zelda games, and then everything else is mid Zelda.
0: Yes, I understand. <laughs> I do understand where you're coming from, definitely. Um, and and you're so right because even though there's games, a lot of games in series that will always be hotly debated about where they sit in terms of quality. And some games, there are people that, you know, absolutely hate them. I famously, there's one title in the franchise that I can't stand. But there isn't one game that everyone goes, that's the stinker. Even the games that some people outright hate, the one that I do, there are people that love it. There are people that are really excited to see it on the Switch, and that's awesome. I'll never touch it again, but I'm glad you love it. And it's one of those games that, even though there are people that are detractors from it, there's there's people that absolutely love it. So Zelda, it really hasn't had that giant clangor yet, and that's pretty impressive for 35 years. I mean, the people there are people out there that love Zelda too, <laughs> as well. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> and I mean, the the topic of today's episode, Majora's Mask, I think, is a very mm. um, divisive game. With you know, you can ask some people, and it's it's just something they can't. They're, right. they're just like, nope, nope, not at all. And, yeah. it, I, and I think the Zelda series has always had the kind of... There are the ones that people kind of go, yeah, that one's just universally loved forever. You know, it's it, it, it's had more than on more than one occasion a nomination for possibly the best game ever made oh, absolutely. whenever they do those ridiculously huge lists. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, let's kick up the internet a bit and just tell everyone that Ocarina of Time is still the greatest, <laughs> greatest achievement in mankind. And it's like maybe that wouldn't be the best idea because what's that saying about how far we've come since 1998? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's just something that's always at the top of that conversation of like overall quality Mm. long term. I think Zelda is, is, is up there.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna it's... be that
1: guy. I'm gonna be that guy, and we say 1998, but back in my house it was 1993. With Link to the past, I'll thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, is that was that your first your first love for Zelda, then, Steve?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got that, and uh, around uh, around the same time, Super Metroid. So I was a very spoiled kid. Mm. You know, this is like you know, primo Nintendo fair If you're not a fan of the dude with the mustache and the hat. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the link to the past to me is probably my personal favourite, but I can totally see why people appreciate Ocarina. I mean, I did just as much as everybody else. I just I, I can one's more just that extra bit, extra bit of um, like nostalgia and comfort when you play it, you know.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'll wrap my experience with the series and Majora's Mask together. I think so. Before we get to that, uh, just a little bit of a tiny bit of background history on Majora's Mask. For those of you who perhaps don't know, uh, the game is the direct sequel to the often called greatest game of all time, Ocarina of Time, um, went into production following the huge success of Ocarina. um, And instead of a huge team, well, I say huge, probably big for the time at least, uh, working for about four years, as was the case with Ocarina of Time, uh, it was decided it would be a small team with just one year, rather famously, to produce Majora's Mask. Um, They already had the engine, of course. It is based on a slightly upgraded version of the Ocarina of Time engine. Um, and it was planned from the beginning to use time in a way to develop something that's both compact and also deep in its own unique way. Uh, It went under the working title and was first revealed, in fact, as Zelda Gaiden, Gaiden being the Japanese word for side story, and the game released in March 2000 under the final name of The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. It was just one of three Nintendo 64 games that required the uh, optional 4 megabyte expansion pack to play, Uh, It sold 3.5 million copies worldwide, which was nothing to be sniffed at. That's compared to 7 million with Ocarina, which, of course, you know, both of them are considered big successes in their own right. As I just said, a huge amount of difference in terms of um, production, cost and time of development and such like that. So it was very well received. Nintendo, I think, were pretty happy with how it uh, sort of landed with its audience Um, It was unanimously praised by the critics. EGM gave it an impressive 10 out of 10. Edge gave it 9 out of 10 for Mitsu, 37 over 40. IGN and GameZone near-perfect scores of 9.9 out of 10. Uh, It currently has a Metacritic score of 95 over 100, and it would be re-released finally after much uh, fan debate and demand online in 2015 for the Nintendo 3DS and get... Basically, as many sales on that format as it did the first time around. So, as I say, let's talk about first experiences with Majora's Mask. Uh, Zane, do you remember, you you talked about your first exposure to Ocarina of Time. Do you remember getting Majora's Mask in your hands for the first time, or even seeing it for the first time? What are your early memories of the game?
2: I do. I remember having to save, I used to get, when I was um, 12, 13, I'd get given £5 a week for pocket money. And that, at the time, had to be saved for quite a while, because as I recall, I think Majora's Mask, with the expansion pack, which I didn't have, was £69 yeah, or something.
0: That, yeah, that sounds right, to be honest.
2: Um, so it was like, I, I saved up for quite some time to get that, and, and obviously the day that I did, I was like, well, that's, that's my weekend sorted. That's basically the next however many months of my life sorted mm. Um, what I really liked about it is the, the European version came that all of the normal prints of the European version are on a gold cartridge, which was kind of like a neat little throwback to Ocarina of Time's collector's edition, and also to the original Zelda being on a gold cartridge. Um, and it just made it feel a bit special. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I remember the branding was kind of different because it had this green, i I remember the the box had like a green look across it and it was like this isn't any like any zelda game that you've had before because they they usually went with the gold and the reds and the the blues um and despite link wearing green all the time they never did a whole lot of green in the and the the purple of the mask and it was kind of like Mm -hmm. a this seems different Mm. um and then you kind of get into it and you're like oh no it is yeah
0: (laughs) it's very different um steve what's your first exposure to majora's mask
1: so, Steve only played Ocarina of Time back in like the, the 90s. It wasn't until the college years when someone was selling their GameCube and th- they were also selling some games. And one of them was the Zelda Collection. Now, I know from general fan feedback the uh, the Zelda Collection version of Majora's Mask is not what we consider the best, but it was my first time playing it. And I, uh, I had the... Probably not the wisest decision to back-to-back Ocarina and then straight into Majora at the time. So I was about, you know, a teenager, 16, 20-something, whatever, you know, edgy kid, like, oh, yeah, I'm playing the edgy Zelda game now, because I didn't get to play it when I was younger. Um, so, yeah, I, I came to this very late mm. compared to most, and I uh, had a great time. I uh, lost more than a weekend to this, because, obviously, despite it being a quote-unquote mission pack, it's a fairly lengthy jaunt when you mm. think about it.
0: It's not all that much shorter than Ocarina of Time, really. No. When you when you you look on how long to beat, as I often do, and look at the aggregate completion times, it's it's really not that much shorter.
1: Mm. I remember pl- I remember playing it for a good long time, uh, mm. you know, because to hundred percent this thing, you have to go through a lot.
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna push that one out even further. I definitely came to this game the latest. Then um, I didn't really grow up with a whole lot of Zelda. I mean, I. I was in a Sega household. Um, my earliest Zelda game was Link's Awakening, and I don't know why or how that happened. I think it was one of those situations where a friend just sort of like said, hey, play this, and I've, I'm, uh, I still have the copy. I could literally reach over and grab it. It's uh, So that's sometimes that's just how that goes. That was the first Zelda game that I experienced um, to some degree. I didn't really got that far with it. But I didn't have a Nintendo home console until the GameCube. Um so I I had some, I was aware of all the games from magazines and from Nintendo fan friends. I'd seen Link to the Past being played, Nocarina of Time being played in various amounts. But I'd never had that experience until sort of my late teens uh, when one of my closest friends, um, I'd used to just spend all the time around their house and vice versa. And we would just play video games constantly as you did around that time when you had uh, too much free time and nothing to do. Um, and Zelda was a huge thing in their life, so we uh, put a lot of hours into all of the games, she sort of introduced me to a lot of the games, and her favourite at the time was Majora's Mask, and I've actually checked back in, and it's still Majora's Mask, which is kind of cool, Um, and I just have this very strong memory of sitting in my bedroom at my parents' house, curtains drawn, getting through Stone Tower, in the pitch black it was like probably summer to be honest you know and we were just blacking out the sun and playing Majora's Mask over the course of a week or whatever um, just so that I could experience her favourite Zelda game uh, and it really stuck with me and maybe that's nostalgia, and um, that will definitely get into reasons why I loved this game um, for certain but it's, it's always stuck with me because it's been one of those ones that I'd always put right up the top even though between playing it then and playing it on the lead up to this that's probably about 12 years where I haven't played the game. I mean, I've picked it up a little bit and maybe played the first dungeon, but I've never actually sat down and done the whole shebang in over a decade, despite the fact that I would always say it's definitely one of my favourite ones. So I'll leave that there, whether or not that's the case, we'll get round to that, I'm sure. But that was my introduction. So let's talk about. Perhaps one of the easiest things to talk about with this game, sort of the aesthetics, the visual and the audio design, as we mentioned, it was based on the Ocarina of Time engine. really only had a year's worth of time to stew. So in order to save time, perhaps, uh, there is a lot of... I don't want to say re... Truthfully, it is reused stuff, but that sounds like a dirty word at this point. You know, people pass that around like it's something to be ashamed of. Um, I feel like perhaps it's more... Uh, clever reusage of things uh, rather than sort of cheap and easy. Zane, what do you think of? I guess we'll start with the visual design of Majora's Mask because it's obviously not worlds apart from Ocarina of Time.
2: Yeah, and I think the um, I, so when you were talking about reuse, I, I like to use the word repurposed. Yes, that's better. That's friendlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, I one of my memories of Majora's Mask, and it's sort of at the start, and this I think underpins a lot of what they knew they were doing with Majora's Mask is you have the intro and then you get left in this little grove before kind of the first big dramatic thing happens to Link. Um, And you have to jump up some logs to get through a gate. And as you do that, Link does this side flip and then a front flip and like a back flip. Mm. And it's stuff that they didn't put in Ocarina of Time. And it's almost as if they kind of went, we know you've had to buy the expansion thing. And we know that this looks the same as Ocarina of Time. So just to prove that we haven't just reused everything, here's a backflip. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's kind of... the the way that it's presented is is kind of clever in that it, it's a world that you're probably familiar with. Because I don't know whether too many people who played Majora's Mask wouldn't have played Ocarina of Time. Mm. So you're already familiar with, like, this is what a... It's ridiculous as it sounds, this is what a tree looks like, here's what the grass looks like, that's a bush. Mm. We don't have to explain bushes to you, you know that already. Um, and having that familiar that familiarity with what the world's supposed to look like kind of helps them to set the scene for where the story goes. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as it was obviously a time-saving thing, you, you've got a year to make a game to follow up Ocarina of Time, good luck. Um, right. But other than, as, as much as it was kind of, we need to just get the as much as we can out of this, I think having possibly, maybe it was on, I think it was probably accidental. Having that familiarity sets you up for the differences in the game, um, which I think is important, because it kind of sets your expectations at a certain place, and then Majora's Mask goes on to do a lot with your expectations. Mm. Uh, And I think that almost enhances the experience in a really coincidentally pleasant way, you know, where they kind of got away with that as like a little sly one, (laughs) where it's just like, well, this happens to make it better because we're reusing everything that's good isn't it
0: (laughs) Um. it is amazing isn't it that that perspective can totally shift with such subtle nuances of the way you use things instead of just going boo we look at it and go oh it's quite interesting actually because for me and like not to sort of put the cart before the horse or anything the the reuse of ocarina stuff um in the way that they do it actually adds to sort of like this kind of strange, hazy, dreamlike feel of Termina. Like, and we'll talk about theories therein much later on, but it definitely plays into sort of some questions that you probably have as a player as you go through this, and you're like, well, why is that person here? Or why is that person's face here? And stuff like that. Um, It really adds to what, right at the beginning of the game, especially the location they throw you into makes you feel like well this is a whole strange new world um steve what do you think of the the visuals overall and the the you reuse or repurpose is the yeah the better word
1: it, it lends itself into that otherworldly like i've used this word a lot but the uh, the anthological kind of like feel to it where you know it's, it's the same cast but they're now playing different roles mm. um but they do a lot more with it like I, I feel like some of the characters in ocarina that are a bit more one note are obviously less so in this one um I don't know how in-depth we are going into, but the fact they find a use for both of the uh, the Long Long Ranch girl, whose name is, for some reason, escaping me at the worst possible time. You've got her young iteration and adult iteration now as sisters doing different things. Um, and you've got the... Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Evil Luigi guy. There's now three of them, and yes. they all do different things. You know, uh, it, it, it's nice to see. It's, uh, it, again, I think it very much it, it plays into that dream... Dreamlike quality, but I want to say that uh, obviously I think the visuals are still very strong. Like even areas that in Ocarina could be considered a little sparse. Mm. Uh, most most places in this are jam packed in terms of like you know stuff to do or you know things. Especially like Clock Town, the Swamp, uh, Snowhead obviously is a bit is a bit more vacant. It's a snowy mountain. You don't expect much hustle and bustle there. Mm. And um, you know Ikana is like a a corpse mountain for want of a better term. So. <laughs> You know, I, but generally, lots of the places are very uh, well built. Mm. In, at least in my opinion, to be a place, despite it being, uh, you know, debatable on theories and whatnot about what Terminator is, was, mm. shall be. Uh, it's very well put together. Like, I would argue a lot of places in Terminator are more well built than Ocarina of Time itself. Which is, it makes sense it's a year after that game. But, um, yeah, I'm tripping over my words. No, uh, it, looks know- re- it looks right. It
0: looks. It looks really good. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, it, you know the way that I think, partly because it's it's a smaller world. There's no greater expanse, which is obviously feeds into the gameplay because you're going to be retreading these places over and over again potentially. So that obviously don't want to be going through big expanses. We've already done that with Ocarina of Time. It was impressive. We don't necessarily need to do the same thing, but you know, slightly different. You're right. There is more in the space because there's less of it but also that expansion pack one of the things that it did um, is increase draw distance which does help as well a lot like it it fills more in in terms of terms of what's on the screen as well Um, in terms of the overall graphics I do think that of course it's aged it's a 21 year old game Uh, but I think it's fine you know at the time it was great of course and it's fine now and fine with 21 years Uh, of age on 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 top of it and it being um the 64 is i don't know i always thought it was a kind of a a, it's 3d was kind of weird to me it's very blocky and and stuff like that It, it, it definitely had more of a ceiling on it um than the playstation and stuff like that i feel um i still think it looks absolutely fine for 21 years of age some of the animations are a little bit awkward of course here and there but I was never put off by it. Perhaps new players, that's obviously going to be a different story. The 3DS version obviously cleans that up a lot. looks very nice. But yeah, funnily enough, you mentioned the GameCube disc. That's the version I played. Um, And really, the the issues are very minimal. Sure, okay, you've got a couple of loading and saving screens that come up because we're on a disc now instead of a cartridge, so it takes longer. And Clock Town, the frames really can drop when it gets a bit busy. But other than that, I didn't have... Too much of an issue myself, um, Zane. What do you think of the sort of visual direction of the game and how it's holed up, or, or hasn't it?
2: I think there's um, what they ended up adding because obviously the, there was very little that they had to add to what they'd taken from Ocarina of Time. Uh, and the thing that struck me as as I played back through it to, to, in kind of preparation for this was like the 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 giant guardians that they have are strange. Yes, and it, there's no reason for for the, the stuff that they did other than being well. We need it to look strange. Um, that like the, the giants that you're reawakening, and the face in the moon didn't need to be that face in that moon, <laughs> but it's but it is, and they kind of kept they put that in because it's like well this is what we're going to add if we're going to add anything it's going to be strange, um, <laughs> so and true. I think that kind of helped to add these little sort of hint, the the way that it tweaked what Ocarina of Time's art direction was, where it was kind of like this is a fantasy world where everything's green and lush and, mm. you know, the mountain looks like a mountain and, and the lake bit looks like a lake bit. And then you get to Majora's Mask and it's like, well, the sea is the sea, but it's also full of bony piranhas that are going to eat your skin. <laughs> and also there's a massive typhoon over there and we're going to get to a story about eggs in a minute and that's going to be a whole other weird thing. Um, and it was just kind of the the setup taking the same art direction and then just sort of corrupting it a little mm. bit. So they took the textures from the Gerudo Valley and, and built a, a skeleton mountain. And it, it's sort of everything... that They they even did as something as simple as we're going to take a mountain and cover it in snow, but just to make sure that you know it's a little bit twisted there's going to be a starving Goron over there who's freezing to death. We thought we'd put that in for you. Um, so even as much because obviously they're going off the back of Ocarina of Time's art direction. They have to make sure that it's. You know what it is, but it's also different because it's worse now. Mm. Everything's terrible forever. Mm. So there's always. Whenever they repurpose this stuff, it's, there's always some little hint somewhere that it's like. Got a bit dark though. <laughs> it's yes. the same, but worse. It's the, so. the twisted
0: <laughs> version. Absolutely. Like, there's sequel sequels where you just bolt more on or just go, this is a variation on what we did before. But yeah, you're right. Like even just from uh, re- the way they use graphics and what they add, that's, yeah, it just adds to that overall sort of theme of the game and the overall feeling of the game and the tone and stuff like that, which is something that uh, I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say on. Um, something that I have a lot to say on This and there's lots of things to like about this game but I could talk forever possibly about the music and I'm going to try and keep it concise Um, this I think is one of the this is really this is a bold one perhaps Zelda's got a lot of great soundtracks this is right up there as one of the all-time greats from the series for me and it's not even necessarily the strength of the music although of course that's really good it's also where it's placed, how it's used, how it reflects what's going on in the story at the time, how it evolves over the course of the story. Um, so, of course, the obvious one being Clock Town, the evolving theme, as the moon gets closer over the course of the three days, from this sort of happy, jaunty carnival music to something deeply unsettling. Even now, it's it prickles under the skin. It's, it's not right. It doesn't feel right at all. And I'm one of those people where... With horror, <laughs> such a, an admission, um, the things that sort of stay with me is the stuff that really, it should be scary to kids, and I don't know why that stays with me, like, hello goosebumps intro with a dog with the glowing eyes, don't know why, just unsettling to me. The The in Michael Jackson thriller video terrified me since a kid and it still makes me uncomfortable. And this is kind of on that level where it's like, it's it's scary, but it's not really scary, but it's just kind of scary when you think about it. Especially because that dark version of Clock Town gives way in the last six hours to this really sort of like haunting sombre piece of music that completely changes everything again. Even the simple passages like Song of Healing, Oath to Order, which is the thing, the goofy thing that the goofy giants sing just sticks with me every time. Number one standout, though, is Majora's theme. Um, it's I heard it on a CD before I played the game. I think I got a disc with a magazine that had a bunch of Zelda music on it To when when, when Wicker came out, I think, because it was like the ocean theme was on there and stuff. And I played it not, not even knowing its context, really. I had not played Majora's Mask. This is like an evergreen, I don't know what you call it, a piece of music, whatever it is, otherworldly thing that came from space. <laughs> it's all this clanging music that doesn't sound like video game music. It's Even today, you can't say that sounds like an N64 song because it doesn't sound like anything else, A, the series has ever done, or B, that I've ever heard before. I'd like looking up the YouTube sort of like covers that people do of these music. And great, like there's some excellent or orchestral reimaginings of Majora's incredibly dark scary theme but nothing's going to beat just these horrible noises that actually come out of the console um like that is such a brilliant piece of music Steve how do you feel about the soundtrack please take it away from me
1: (laughs) so uh, I uh I appreciate you you know I'm like Uh, if if you've listened to now now that's what I call uh, RE2 music. You know you know that I like my stuff that's a bit more eclectic or special for no reason other than it's unique. Um and because a lot of the tracks in Majora at least to my knowledge don't get much airtime outside of any of the rest of the Zelda games. Whereas most yeah. of the Zelda mm-hmm. games there are a lot of carry on themes. I say there's unique ones to the dungeons and whatnot. We all know that. But uh, because that's kind of special to me. Uh I personally love like yeah, you know, especially the dungeons and stuff. They feel <laughs> if the more high fantasy in classic zelda in, in you know in most traditional zelda rather in, in majora's Masters, sometimes it, it it verges on the industrial like right. or or tribal like in, in the temples in particular like great bay temple I swear it's like you know a bootleg command and conquer track is playing while I'm playing this this torture <laughs> place you know it, it, it's and then you know the the oh, what's the right word the terror and uh, disquiet of the, the final six hours in Clock mm. Town—you uh, uh, know—it it cannot be understated. Like, you have to hear this theme at least twice during a playthrough, and every time it rips into me, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. And then and, nearly and, and, and its just like you know, just a just a funeral dirge with a few like, you know, it's not not much to it, but it, the texture and I suppose the the atmosphere of the situation blends well with the music, right? It's context, where, isn't it? Yeah, if I if I listen to this track on its own, I'm still like getting very uncomfortable, very uh, unnerved. It's it's like James has just found out the truth in Silent Hill Two, or mm. you know, some other apocalyptic revelation. And all it is in this case is you look you look in the Sky, big face, about to hit Link. You know, it's not really <laughs> you know in, in the grand scheme of things, it's like you know, just let's let's get the old ocarina out and do the old you know, time mm. travel. But it haunts you. It really does. And left a mark on me but th- that being said you know I can't think of any tracks other than that that jump out on me like you said the, the temples for me are the standout Town, obviously you know as it gets more and more frenetic and worried over the course of the passage of time which I suppose is a you know a great piece of you know full thought into the design of the game really you know we're a whole advancing time everyone's gonna panic blah 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 um <BRUNO2> <clears throat> but yeah no because it's uh, the odd wild child I think that's my main reason I appreciate Majora's OST. is it my favourite
4: mm,
0: I don't know you don't, I, it, it's a... I can't hold it against anyone because Zelda has so many great soundtracks over the course of its 35 years that yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah just because I have such a strong opinion about this I don't expect everyone to go yeah you're right like I know no no that. no,
1: no I it's it's weird this most recent replay is what really has got me a bit confused over a few of my previous biases mm. pre-podcast pre, pre recording i would have turned around and said
0: yeah majora is definitely
1: the best one what are you talking about whereas now it's a bit more well, you oh, know okay yeah.
0: interesting um zed what do you think of the soundtrack for majora's mask
2: i think the obviously as you say the standout stuff like clock town um the way that it establishes this is just a lovely normal town where everybody's going about their daily lives oh no there's a rumbling noise coming underneath that might be bad but then of course there is because there's a giant moon about to crash into everything and everyone's going to die um but what i'd like i think the most about the way that music is handled in majora's mask and this is a bit of a odd potentially contentious thing to say for so ocarina of time was all about music because the the item in Mm. the subtitle is a musical instrument. I think Majora's Mask puts more emphasis on the importance of music than Ocarina of Time did. Um, And I think it's melded into the gameplay in a much more natural and organic way where it's like the Song of Time in Ocarina of Time wasn't, it was kind of like you need this for plot related reasons. In Majora's Mask it's like no, this is your your mechanic. Mm. Um, And the music kind of ties into the mechanic's so much stronger, I think, and it, it's tied into the theming and the the, the background gameplay as well. I, the the musical part for me that I think stands out the most is going to see the Indiegogo's, and when you're kind of first walking around, talking to the whole band, and you can do all the jam sessions and stuff, and it's like
3: hmm.
2: you've you've put music at the forefront of what we're doing with this part. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a better band that bit, so it would be, but. The, the way that it's melded into the fabric of what you're doing seems a lot more um, musically driven, I suppose, than Ocarina does, um, which is strange because, you know, it's a game about masks, ostensibly, but it, it's got music that underlines so much stuff better. Mm. Um, and I, I think Majora, the, the theme for Majora is, is chaos. It's madness. And I think when you couple it with like the boss fight that you have with Majora and the the Incarnation and the Wrath, mm. it's you know the tentacles flailing everywhere, and it like the, I remember the first time I played that final battle, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what this is. What is that? What am I doing? Oh my god, this is this is mad. You know, in Ocarina of Time ended on such a kind of epic sort of one-on-one, right? You know cataclysmic that skies have darkened and blah 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 and it's all super dramatic Majora was just like I don't and it was just panic this mad panic and I think the theme and Majora as a a evil entity and the way that you react to it I think is tied together Mm. Um, and I think that the tying of music to the theming of the game was just a little bit stronger in Majora's Mask Um, and, and I mean they didn't add too much more you know, they they had motifs that they could take... But then Termina Field gets this sort of updated... It, like, it's Zelda, but it's not Zelda. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not your Hyrule Field theme, but it's close enough that you know that that's something that you're supposed to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything just kind of seems undercut really well by the, the music they decided to go with. Other than the Deku Palace, which got stuck in my head... And started to grate on me quite a lot because the stealth... I'm not a big fan of four stealth sections. Right. Even in Zelda, I'm not yeah. a fan of forced stealth sections. Um, it's nothing wrong with the music. It's just I had to listen to it for like an hour. So <laughs> it's just like, okay, I get it. We're you're, you're in a palace, cool. Um, but other than that one tiny, which admittedly was my problem, um, I think the the way that the music ties into the game is so strong, and I think if that wasn't working as as hard as it does, maybe it'd reduce the impact that the theme and the the atmosphere of Majora's Mask has. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I it's weird though because I still wouldn't say it's like near my favourite Zelda soundtracks. It's it's one of those things where I'm like, I I respect it and I need it, and the game needs it, and it's better for having it.
0: Right,
2: but I don't know whether I'd put it on a playlist. I suppose, is the, the, the way that I'd sort of come down on it in the end.
0: Sure. I get that. Yeah, I
1: get this. I think this is where I want it to come from, really. Yeah. Is it good and unique? Yes. Is it something I want to listen to as my jam? Probably not.
0: <laughs> that, uh, that CD with the Majora's theme on it and said friend as well. I remember playing that from the CD and every time Majora's theme would come out, she'd be like, turn it off! And <laughs> Why? It's great. It's like, yeah, but I don't like it. It makes me think of all horrible things. Like Well, then it succeeded, hasn't <laughs> it? That's And it uh, yeah, I think that sums up the soundtrack. It absolutely succeeds or it does, but you're right. I can't imagine most people bopping along to Clock Town Day 3 as they uh, go for their morning stroll or anything like that necessarily, whereas you could do uh, a lot more of the sort of upbeat and uh, epic, quote, unquote, and triumphant heroic music from other games.
2: Uh, I suppose it doesn't have, for me, it's... Um certain games in the series have this one standout track that's like Dragon Roost Island or Gerudo Valley or whatever it it doesn't have it's kind of this is the one that everybody's going to be going to cover with their metal versions
0: you know (laughs) (laughs) that's true I guess let's talk about gameplay then um, which is another sort of we can easily sort of slant in the direction of uh, Ocarina of Time as I say it's based on that engine so talking about it sort of plainly at first um, it's barring some exceptions playing as Link as you know him the Hyrule the uh, Hylian Link is it's pretty one to one with Ocarina really um, and I don't think that is completely down to time saving I think that's because it just if if it isn't broken, don't, you know, don't fix it. It's fine and it, it works uh pretty well. I mean, some of it's aged a little bit poorly. Again, it's 21 years. Stopping to use the bow doesn't feel great these days. But, you know, that's fine. That's how it goes. Um Personally, <clears throat> I've never overly been completely fond of z-targeting i've seen people use use it to great effect sometimes for most of the time for me it was like 70 percent success rate with it uh, other times i'm just sort of bashing away until i hit the right weak spot um, but i think that's more of a more of a me thing it just I, it's always been a little bit clunky for me but in terms of that it all runs exactly as you'd expect from ocarina it's maybe a little bit smoother here and there but it's, it's pretty much one-to-one um, but there is obviously a few new uh, dynamics that we talked about, like the time mechanic, um and the masks, of course. There's plenty to touch on here. Do you know, Zed, I'll just sort of let you go um in whatever direction you'd like. Um what do you think about the gameplay of Majora's Mask?
2: Oh my gosh, how long do we have? Um <laughs> so Link as I think Link is Link. Link mm-hmm. just does link things. And I think that's sort of underpinned by the fact that the items you get are just different kinds of like you you did the dungeons and you just get arrows. For yeah, your bow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this isn't that game. We're not doing the thing where you get um, something different every. Where do you- super important, you know, items and where stuff. Where do you
0: get the hook shot? Is that a dungeon item or is that?
2: Uh, you get that from the not the pirate fortress. Ah, it's just, okay, know, which
0: is not actually like a traditional temple. So yeah, yeah exactly. No, that's fair, yeah, right?
2: it's it's just kind of like it's just here. It's part of your story. You'll get it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and it's kind of, the, and the reason they, I think they did it like that is because obviously you've got the mass transformations which are where the real change in the way that you're going to be playing comes from Right um, And some of that stuff is just so satisfying in terms of because one of the things that I like about game design is when we look at, and I think I've got to bring up Breath of the Wild, I don't think you can have a Zelda conversation without bringing up Breath of the Wild um, One of the things that Breath of the Wild did so well is it added in this thing where getting from point A to point B is now fun or interesting or a challenge or there's some variety to it cuz you can climb everything you've got your paraglider all of that stuff hmm. but then you look at majora's mask and it's like well the goron goron link can roll and and at, like this ridiculous speed and it's super fun to just roll around doing stuff hmm. um and it's like a transformation of just the basic way you move and then you get the the zora mask and you're in the water and you're kind of darting around like a dolphin and you're like this is also cool and it's the the transformation of just the basic act of moving it with with like these strange new forms that they just kind of went well we'll just change up some variables basically we're we're just gonna just mix up your movement speed and your traction and your friction and stuff and that'll make things fun um so I think just at the base level, just the the basic moving around in Zelda has been, in Majora's Mask, is kind of made fun or interesting or engaging or challenging just because if you're doing the Goron rolling, then, you know, you've kind of got to get it up to speed and if you hit stuff, it stops and whatever. Um. So I think just starting from that level is good because, as you say, there's so much that's already done from Ocarina of Time. Mm. So I think messing with Link himself would have been probably, there's there's probably not much they could have done in, in a year to improve upon Ocarina. Other than um, giving him a backflip,
0: as you said. <laughs> yeah, so I think
2: going in a kind of sideways direction is like, well, what else? Mm. You know, what? where else could we take this instead? Um, I think just that basic part, starting there, yes. and then everything's built on top of that, because the, the more that you change form, the more that you change weaponry, the more that you change you know even Deku link can kind of the the thing with the shrubs in the floor where you can kind of boost up now um link historically has never been too great at vertical movement yes, you know he didn't have a jump right. button mm. in most games so all of a sudden now we're kind of going vertically free freeform vertical you know cuz you're kind of hovering and you've got like certain a certain distance you can move in mm. um so even just taking it to a vertical level was kind of interesting and I think what they did was just kind of explore the space better and a little bit differently um, which then under, underpins and changes everything you can do with Zelda when you're on the same engine, really yes.
0: Yeah, it really um, does explore the potential of that engine when you can move in all these different ways that you couldn't before You're, you're so right, not you know not just speed but sort of depth both ways, being able to move underwater actually um, in a way that just even now, when you're playing as the Zora and you're just sort of messing around um, Great Bay, just sort of dipping out of the water and, and diving back in, just feels nice. It just does. It still does. It just feels good to do. Um, and it's got
2: no purpose. That, that thing where you can kind of dolphin dive out of the right. surface, it's got no purpose at all. They it just, just feels it cool. cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, it just makes you feel like a cool... Like, yeah, I did that, you know. And you, again, with the, with the Dayco, it just adds something that they've never done before. It's, it's brilliant. Instead of looking at something and being like, how can we tweak this? and you know potentially make a great error by changing Link that everyone was so already um acclimatized to with Ocarina and the way that he moved and stuff i just put like three extra playstyles on top of the game that you can swap in and out of to solve puzzles to do combat in different ways each of them have their own advantages uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this. And also, it's sort of, and I'll touch on this later, but it touches a wider impact part of the game. It's not just a gameplay thing. For me, it, it really helps with the story as well. Um, Steve, what do you think of the the main masks? Honestly,
1: uh, the, the way that they are given out is kind of, I think, very fun. And the fact that it actually forces you to be Deku Link for a fair while mm. before you can even get back to your traditional form. So like, yeah, this is, this is Zelda, but it's different. You know, you, you have to learn these new move sets. And the fact that they are literally like a full a full set of tools as opposed to, you know, just, here's a boomerang, you throw it, it goes whoosh, enemies go, ah, oh! And then, you know, you, you whack them with a sword. It's it's a bit more to it. Like, you now have also got these electric fins. Mm. Or if, if you roll really fast, you go from being a uh, a better Sonic the Hedgehog game in 3D than Sonic Adventure, yeah, don't come at me, uh, into a very angry Bowser <laughs> ball,
3: you yes. know,
1: with spikes. <laughs> So, yes. I think Zed hit the nail on the head that while locomotion is probably their main thing, the fact they do have a full diverse moveset is great. I just want to, while we're talking about gameplay, I want to touch on the fact this is probably the only Zelda game I know of where the main quest is very de incentivized, it feels like, despite the fact there is an obvious threat. Like, you know, it's the most obvious thing that you just look up and there is a time limit, but you can re- rewind time whenever you want. And there are so many side quests. It feels like in this game there are more side quests than there are people. To the point where I have not played Shenmue more than ten minutes. But it feels like is this what Shenmue is meant to be? Where you're basically going around solving everyone's problems and <laughs> occasionally getting to the main quest. Like there's so many things to do mechanically speaking that you never touched on in Ocarina. Like you know there, there is a UFO fighting. Uh, there there is dog racing. Uh, there, there is a I think you actually have to do it. But there's like a swamp. Photo tour you have to take. Mm. Yeah, yeah, go on racing. I'll, 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 I don't want to say racing, 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 but there's a lot of racing. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of racing.
4: There
2: is. Uh, yeah. Um, oh dear, I'm, I'm losing train It is, train of it is actually a something something that I I thought when I played through this. I was like, the Zelda series. You think about the main kind of antagonist of Zelda, and it's like, well, Link's going to go save Zelda from a an evil thing again. And it gets a bit, and, and people often bring them. It's a bit repetitive. It's just the same thing. I would say Majora's Mask's main story is even more reductive than any of that. It's like mm. this guy stole a thing from you. Here comes the moon. Go stop him. Yeah. And if if that was, it, it, and it's it's mad because it's it's sort of like if that was the story, Majora's Mask would be awful. If it was just yeah, go yeah. over there, stop that guy. You saved the world again. You're Link. You did the thing. Um. But the the way that they use that to kind of force you to meet these people in this place, and it, I think you're right. I think there's more side quests um, than there are, you know, in in most other games. And I think the side quest is where Majora's Mask's biggest strength is. Um, yeah, because one uh... of the things that struck me is that. The NPCs in Maj- I would say at least fifty percent of the NPCs in Majora's Mask are part of a quest. Um and and that's something that you don't get in other oh, Zelda games or even games of of this type, where everybody is somehow involved in what's going on. Mm, and it gives um, you this kind of reason to go and talk to people. Um it- and to do stuff.
1: It's the first Zelda game to give you like a uh, an itinerary book where you're basically a nosy little Parker learning everyone's <laughs> routines, uh, and, it, it, and you get results and rewards and things. But it, the fact that it incentivizes you, literally being like you know the busybody of the town, learning the things, knowing where they're going to be, uh, it's a very interesting take on it. I like. It doesn't feel very Zelda-like at all, but it also is probably one of the main things I enjoy about it. Mm. Uh, mechanically going around and just figuring out this person's day and obviously one of the biggest side quests in Majora's Mask involves literally like nailing down an entire routine, finding out where this person is you know the, uh, the just finished that stuff.
2: yesterday, yeah that was <laughs> it was a long long hour and a half of my life
1: yeah and if you misstep, misstep at any point you have to basically go back in time which isn't as bad. You know, I want to just want to reiterate the time travel mechanics of this because I've I've seen people like on the first day of Discord and the like complaining about oh no, there's not enough time to do anything. It's fine. You play the song, you start again. Uh, a full three day cycle or run your what six hours? I don't know. It's not it, it's it's not too unbearable, is it?
2: Um, I've always had this theory that people didn't get the song of slow time, and that's why yeah. they thought the game wasn't yeah, right, like sort of forgiving enough. Because you can kind of, like, if you just went out of the observatory without ever talking to that scarecrow, you wouldn't know unless someone told you um, that, like, this is a thing you can do. Mm. And it's it's really because it's such a major thing to do if you want to kind of get into the 100%ing it, because you need the time. Um, and they just kind of put it on an NPC that you can wander past, and you'd never talk to if you didn't, know. you know. How many people talk to a scarecrow? Uh, yeah exactly <laughs> so uh,
1: podcast listeners just play the song of time backwards wink wink you're fine
0: yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny because it plays into that idea of yeah you, you, you're you going to talk to everyone in this game so you probably should go and see what the scarecrow has to say because it's, it's going to help a lot as you say I, I agree you know um, depending on your perspective some people think that the time mechanic is a stroke of genius or a pain in the bum depending on what you, where you look at it but I, I, I really like it, you know, because you absolutely completely can wind all the way back to the beginning whenever you like, or right at the end of the three days, use all that time up how you like, and then take what you've learned, you know, that it's what time travel in a lot of time travel stories is about, the frantically uh, scribbling in a notebook, funnily enough that Link does, of someone trying to, you know, do everything right, like, oh, I messed up, I'm going to go back and do it again, and trying to memorize everything they need to do, so it's kind of funny in that way. Um, nothing's missable because of it as well which I really love you know there's nothing that you can't if you are great you messed up and yes so the quest that you guys touched on sort of like probably the final quest that you're going to do uh, which takes place over the course of three days and really does require you to know um, specific times the characters are going to be in places and at this point I would say that one if you're going to use a guide at all who can forgive you for you know who couldn't have a problem with using a guide like for that one i i absolutely used a guide i'm going to judge anyone for using a guide for that point um but for the most part with the with the notebook and stuff like that it's not too bad um i really yeah i really like it especially also and again so we're we're sort of poking at the sort of like story and theming part here but i also it's And I know some people hate the fact that when you wind back, all the progress you've made is gone. And um, when they finish a temple and then you wind back and it's unfinished again, I kind of like that. It's so dark and disconcerting that you can't save everyone in these three days. You go out and save them, get what you need, and you have to wind back. And, you know, they don't know about it and they're back to square one. But you've got the one thing you need, obviously, to save everyone in the end. But it's a we- it's a weird feeling leaving a temple and being like, well, that's going to get reset, you know. <laughs> Obviously, you can jump right to the end boss, but that's not the point.
2: Plus they give you the, the, like, they know you're going to be doing it because they give you the um, warp straight to the boss of the temple. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, well, we know you're going to be doing this thing, so to make it easy, just learn the patterns, and you can do it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's kind of what I like about it. I think with the time travel is you get a lot of like time travel stories or, or time travel video games or whatever. And they'll kind of overdo the time travel discussion mm. and the kind of the theorizing of it and how what the rules are and blah, 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 Majora's Mask is just like, well, you can go back and it all resets. And then it just le- it, like, you, you don't get, I don't think Tattle ever tells you, you could now go learn people's schedules if you want, you well, know, you could maybe see what they're doing on the second. Like nobody tells you all that stuff. It's just, you, you see the people wandering around and you think, well, they must be going somewhere. And I think that the thing that I think sets you off on that course is as soon as you first come out of the clock tower as Deku Link, when it first starts, you see Cafe coming down the stairs um, of like where the, the, his little shop is that he's hiding in mm. and he's off mm. to check the post box. And that's scripted as like the, the first thing you see when you come out is that happening. And it's just the game kind of going, well, there's a thing for you to look at. Wonder what that is. But it doesn't, you know, you don't ever get a thing saying you should follow that guy.
0: Yeah.
2: It's just kind of, do you, do you want to? You can if you want. Um. And one of the things that I think makes all of that harder, the thing with the side quests and the, the schedules, is um, I think the re- one of the reasons why it needs the expansion pack is because as, as small a feature as this sounds, NPCs can now walk into buildings you're in. Yes. and they open doors and mm. come in and stuff and it's kind of like this this world is happening whether you're paying attention or not
0: right
2: um so it's kind of having the whole of clocktown stored in active you know active gameplay so you you don't expect that to happen and so there's a part you- in that side quest where cafe comes out to pick up his mail and you have to then run into the the shop behind him that's been locked and you don't necessarily think, well, I can do that. Because you think, well, the door's locked. You know, because if a door's locked, it's always locked. And you don't think, well, he's been in there and that's been stored there. That's an active part of the game that I can play with now. Mm. And it's it's this strange kind of, oh, we just happened to be able to open up the whole town at once. Which is, it seems silly now, but obviously in, in the year 2000 and the N64, it was kind of like, ah, oh, okay, that's odd. And I think it's just a, a new way of thinking.
0: Yeah,
1: I did, I, I'm going to sound probably like a, a, an infant now, but how many other games can you think of where they have a fully realized scripted world? I mean, I mean obviously it's only three days, but you know, having a quote-unquote open-world game where the NPCs have a set purpose and they're not just like in a GTA game where they're just standing on the street, walking forwards, waiting for a player to drive over them or whatever. <laughs> you know, where they actually have purpose, have a narrative, and it's uh, very Tied into the gameplay, isn't it? You know, the fact that you have to work around it. Like Zed said, you can't get into most of cafes quest if you don't sneak in behind him as he's getting his mail. Right. And, you know, there are some little instances like that. Um, You actually have to solve, like, the big crisis at Snowhead before you can even try and resolve getting a better weapon than you start with, Mm -hmm. which is the Kokiri sword, which also features two of the funniest NPCs in his elder game fighting. Mate, I love that blacksmith. I'm sorry. He just says Ugo, but he's just so charming. Right. Um,
0: yeah no you're you're right Like about everyone's schedules and stuff sort of impact like everything that's going on like there's so many examples of that like one that you just said as well with the temple um you have to beat that temple in the first day if you want to have a shot of uh getting your sword all the way up to sort of like the best that it can be in one shot otherwise you reset you have to do the temple boss quickly and then go from there um and just talking about that cafe quest and stuff like that um there's the old lady who gets mugs. Um, and if you save her, you can buy the bomb bag, whatever it is. Um, but if you do that and then want to do the main quest, then she doesn't get robbed and all this, and it impacts later stuff where Cafe's looking at the curiosity shop, seeing someone selling the bombs that he's just stole. It's crazy. Cause all, all these characters sort of, they're always doing these things, whether you're interact with interacting with them or not. Um, and obviously, you don't trigger the scene; it doesn't actually happen. But it is interesting to think that those events are just taking place over and over again until you sort of interrupt them.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, we won't be the first to make the comparison to the film Groundhog Day. So yeah, let's get out of the way, <laughs> you know. But yeah. the fact you are basically Bill Murray's character learning what everyone is going to be doing, what they're going to be doing, how they're going to be doing it in a full. Game like this, it, 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 it's, it's weird. Like I said, the only thing I can think of that may be similar is Shemu, and I only have secondhand knowledge of that game. Mm. I'm sorry, you it looks boring. um <laughs> I, I'm gonna get pulverized for that. <laughs>
0: you might do. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's
1: I don't know if any other Zelda games touched on that kind of mechanic, though. Have they? There's no been, there's never been a time I would mechanic go outside
2: so far as to say that I can't think of another game where everybody in it is scripted to do something important mm. yeah. and they're trackable and you can, if you want, watch everyone just going about what it is they do. Then um, you can kind of follow them and like if you, what what helps as well is if you talk to them over the three days and their, their dialogue changes to reflect the fact the moon's about to kill everyone and they all start having opinions and You know they're NPCs with changing opinions on stuff, and you've got a guy who's like, "We need to finish this tower. The moon's not going to fall. Stop it! It's all a hoax." And then, you know, the mayor's having a big argument, and that kind of carries on. And it it's it's watching people be people, Mm. and actually, and it's it's only possible because the the time limit is there because they can kind of space it out and script it over. You know, this certain thing can happen at this point um and it it's i'm i'm struggling to think of another game that's so kind of it it it's going to happen whether you're involved or not mm. yeah um which i think helps to give you some agency and some importance because it's like well you will change these events and that'll be and and you know nobody else will do that that's you 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 can directly see the impact of what you've done and it's it's so different to a game where you just talk to someone and they have one line of dialogue, and it's just, oh, hi, isn't the weather nice? You know, there's, non- there's none of that in Majora's Mask. Everybody has something somehow relevant to say. Yeah. Um, it's and, the poor Goron
1: whose room you
2: nick <laughs> yes. to do the main quest, and it,
1: it unfortunately has the same name as you. And because of that, you can then do, you know, you can do the whole cafe Andrew quest, but you know, you have kept him outside, and his, his mood has obviously dramatically changed because he's stuck out in the rain, because it will always rain on the second day.
0: Or was it the third day? I, I think he, you kick him out uh, on the first day, so yeah, for the for yeah. into the second day. But yeah, that's that's the other example that I meant to mention. Exactly that, like you just affecting that Goron sort of like path of events by doing that. So he has to sit in the rain. Uh, yeah, just stuff like that. It's so good. Um, so let's talk about sort of since we talked about um, the world a little bit there, I suppose we should also talk about the story a little bit. Um, and as Zed sort of pointed out, it's. Pretty bare bones, really, really. But like, if you wanted to reduce it right down, it's literally uh, what you'd expect. You know, go to four co- four corners of the map, grab the MacGuffins, and stop the evil. But obviously, it's not that at all, is it? Really, you know, it's not Ganondorf. <laughs> it's a giant uh, moon that's been called down by a possessed mask, which has taken over a lonely child. It's so bizarre, and I mean, there's a endless list of things like this that uh zane you sort of touched on at the beginning where it was like they take stuff and just tweak it to make it weird everything's weird everything why the four giants look like something out of like a jim henson sort of like dark crystal that 80s horror fantasy sort of like dark fantasy thing you know um it's it's bizarre. Everything looks bizarre. Why does the mirror shield look like that?
2: <laughs> yeah, why? Exactly. It didn't need to, did it? They, it? It could have just been a mirror.
0: Why is it screaming at me? You know, I don't understand. <laughs> why, do the,
2: oh, why does Why does Link scream at the top of his lungs exactly. every time he puts a mask on? Every time does he, he... needs, he didn't need to do that.
0: Right, but it's <laughs> it's the mask of a dead person as well. So you know the horror of putting on the face of somebody who's passed away. It's when you think about it that way. It's it's so creepy um, it's but, the bone
1: crunching sound isn't it surely that gets under my that, skin yeah that's like, not good yeah. Here is bones snapping into these new forms <laughs> like. oh,
0: absolutely and on top of the shield as well even the little sun images that you have to reflect light on creep me out they've got a weird little smile that I don't like you know the happy mask salesman the first NPC that you directly sort of talk to that I can think of anyway um, he's a freak isn't he <laughs> to be quite honest
2: he doesn't obey the laws of animation
0: exactly and that's disturbing (laughs) as a video game player there's certain ways you think things are going to move and react and the way that he just sort of like snaps around is unsettling and you know the laugh as well everything's so unearthly it's you know there's fantasy design and then there's this game that pushes way outside of that box Um, and that's that's the, obviously the strongest part, of course. Um, Zane, what do you think of the story? I mean, or, or, or the theme, or the tone? Let's start unpacking this whole part.
2: I think everything is sad. I think every single major character in Majora's Mask is sad, mm-hmm. and I think the sadness and the death and the tragedy is given to you in such a way that you kind of can't avoid it. Um, like you, you start off and yeah, all right, Link gets his horse stolen and he gets turned into a Deku scrub and you know he's lost his ocarina, I know how awful but then you get onto your quest and the first thing, you you head towards the swamp and there's like a cutscene where the Skull Kid's just this sad little lonely kid in the rain Mm. and it's like, oh okay, we're going to feel sad for the guy that's trying to crush us all with the moon, cool I'm glad we're sad and you actually before that, you've met this weird, kind of crumpled up Tree that yes. used to be a deadwood scrub, and it's just like, well, that that looks like it was a person once, right? Good. That's sad too. Um Everybody is sad all of the time in Majora's Mask, mm. and as you know, the the Akana King, he's sad, and him and his his lackeys, they're sad, and everybody that you t- Romani. The first time you meet Romani, you you can't get to her on day one. And you get to her on day three and she's just this kind of, like she's had an autopsy. Just this sort of damaged child mm. who's, you know, traumatised because they keep coming and doing something to the cows. So that's sad too. It's it's sort of the, we talk about, um, I, I suppose these days, the kind of modern trend of genuinely positive wholesome games. Stuff like, um, I think it's called A Little Walk or something um and stuff like stardew valley and animal crossing where it's Mm. like everything's kind of super wholesome and lovely majora's Mask, i think is the perfect unwholesome game Mm. because everything in it is sad there's there isn't an element of it that isn't somehow touched by sadness um and even when you get to majora and you're on the moon and you're going to your final battle that's represented through a bunch of kids who were also sad and a little bit confused And you talk to them and they're like, well, are your friends really? Your friends? What does your your real face look like? I don't understand what's going on. And then they go away. And then you talk to the kid that is Majora and Majora's like, oh, everyone's abandoned me. Okay. Do you want to play a game? And that's sad too. Mm. And it's this just weirdly all pervasive sadness that's in everything um, that you don't even have to go looking for. It's just there. And and it's not kind of, it's not even overdone. It's it's just the way that things are, and you're just kind of left to, you have to drag Mikau's body to shore. Yes. Like it it, it doesn't just go well. Here's a guy, you know, take his mass, take his spirit into a mass. You have to physically push his dying body to shore.
0: Mm.
2: You didn't. They didn't have to make you do that, but that's another sad thing.
0: <laughs> I love that and it's, when you do that as well you're sort of directed like oh, we're going to go to the Great Bay and you get down there and the music's sort of like using what you would expect out of a beach level music you know like timpani and stuff like that and you're like oh well, this is going to be nice and that's the first thing you do
2: <laughs> yep, <laughs> is yeah. deal it's with like, anybody no, this, this, this guy's dying <laughs> deal with that now yep. um, <laughs> everything and, and you talk to you know Darmani, and he's he's like, well, I was doing really well, then I died. So (laughs) that's probably. And you get to, in fact, you get in there, and there's a there's a crying baby. Mm. Yeah, just walk in the door. The baby's crying. Go deal with that now as as well. (laughs) And there's no part of this world of Termina that hasn't been touched by just grim sadness, and it's just this all all pervasive thing,
0: Mm. Um... which is great. <laughs> yes it, it is it's it, it's it's so good because of it i guess i'll be the person that mentions it then um is that there's there's so many theories and so many um so many discussion points oh, no. and
2: stuff about we there.
0: yeah we're going there um i wasn't
2: going to do the tower of babel like ikana thing today (laughs) Uh,
0: not so much that but you know you're saying everything is sad um the the prevailing theory for this game uh, and something that i can't see past i believe i i see it so firmly that it must be true is that this game um is based around the dabda theory of grief the which stands for those of you who don't know is the the idea of passing through grief as represented by five different emotions that spell out dabda which is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Denial being the clock town, where nobody wants to sort of face the facts that the sky is about to fall down on top of them because they're too concerned with making this carnival go ahead. Anger with the uh, with the forest and the and the swamp, where the the king basically just wants to execute a monkey who's decided uh, has wronged him and his family. Bargaining, as you said, Damani, who is trying badly to sort of uh, continue his life, even though he's dead and he and he wants to continue on. Depression in Great Zora Bay with uh, the female singer who no longer speaks, let alone sings, and just sort of just gazes into the middle distance. And then Acceptance with the Stone Tower, where that one's a little bit harder. But I mean, when you see the enemies that when you beat them in uh, combat, They don't go down without blowing themselves up. They they take their own lives at the last second. Um, It's impossible for me to see through that uh, that theory. This sort of like grief stricken Twilight Zone esque version of Zelda Um, that stuck with me as soon as I heard it. um, Which probably would have been after playing Majora's Mask for the first time. But it just I went oh my goodness that seems. Yeah, that has to be a thing. And I and I found it to be true playing it through it again. And in that sort of 12 years between playing it and the first time uh, and playing it the first time and playing it now, I was so sort of consumed with that idea and it stayed with me so much that a friend and I... Um, we make music together and stuff and we we put out a little EP of um, songs inspired by video games and video game characters not covers original songs but sort of from the perspective of certain characters and stuff and we, we toyed with and began working on we never finished it sadly a little EP called The Sky Is Falling which was just going to be just about Majora's Mask even though I hadn't played it in <laughs> however many years just because the theory of sort of her and we'd break it down the track listing in that and sort of talk about each area um it's just stuck with me and i know <laughs> i realize i'm becoming the pretentious member of the podcast with the way that i just like adore silent hill 2 and and the artsy fartsy way that that is and and this is how i sort of view majora's mask as well just like the thematics are so strong um and i feel like this intentionally or otherwise is just forever tied to it with me but nonetheless steve what do you think of the story the theme and maybe even the Dabda theory any thoughts
1: I, uh, that's that's the beautiful thing about Majora's Mask is enough unknowns. Like I, I still cannot figure it out. Right, the school kid is like if you go into the old lady, you know, if you have the mask of being able to listen to the old lady speak, uh, you know, because she she basically rambles on and puts link to speak otherwise. Yeah, you can learn like the backstory of the giants and how they're tied into the school kid. That's great. Why? Why is why is Majora on the moon? <laughs> Uh, why is Majora being this maniacal pest and wants to play good guys and bad guys? Like, just trying to figure out the motivations of the evil Hex Mask alone is still confusing me. And this is on a playthrough I only finished two days ago, you know, being as 100% completionist as I can be. Now, I think that's the, one of the greatest strengths of Majora's Mask is the fact that there are so many unknowns, despite the fact the story is so basic.
0: Mm-hmm. It uh, leaves itself you know, open for like all kind of this kind of theorising.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look—you look at like Ocarina of Time, and you know, it, Zelda timeline, kerfuffle aside, it's a fairly straightforward story of Link goes, picks up stones, Ganondorf capitalizes on it, ruins time. You go to the future, kick his ass, go back in time, have a cigar, roll out. You know, it's a little bit—I mean, I, I may be paraphrasing a bit, there, but you know, <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: Uh, it, ocarina's got a lot more too like people think link's dead like some yes, kind of yes. weird weird like coma nightmare dream i don't ascribe to that but you know i just think link's caught in a strange land trying to find his friend i i am one of these who's going to be it literally is happening in front of link he's stuck in a time loop this world is just weird and wacky <laughs>
2: the uh, only thing that i i don't buy is do they obviously it starts and link's like it's like link's on a search for navi you wouldn't be on a search for Navi. <laughs> Don't, why would you go find Navi? Just, just lead, like That's just the least believable part of Majora's Mask.
0: And, and it's also Majora's Mask's greatest strength is that she's not a part of it. <laughs>
2: exactly.
1: I mean, Tattle's so cool because they go, you know, ding, 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 and then thump <laughs> Link, as yeah. opposed to... That they're very, they're, their dialogue as a sidekick fairy is way more compelling than
2: anything Navi ever says. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just complete. like I don't know, you should probably attack it or something. I. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, they're very much more non-committal and sarcastic as opposed to you know very tutorial theory of the game like Navi. But <laughs> but I I I, uh, I do wonder at times. You know, y- your mind does wonder if you look at all the pieces and like you know you can find. Maybe Link actually is dead, or maybe this is just about the processing of grief. Like you know, people look at is it Earthbound? I believe, and they they see that as some kind of allegory for birth trauma. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, you know, uh, um, but I I just see it as you know, Link's bogus journey, (laughs) and uh, with with a dash of Groundhog Day. But at the same token, it's fantastic in that you actually have to do these things. I just, uh, it's a weird, weird one though, because. Most of the stories, like Zed said, are sad and twisted, even by Zelda standards. I mean, Zelda standards stuff is normally a bit, oh, no, my chickens have gone out. Can you bring them in, please? You know, as opposed to, my children have been kidnapped by pirates in a bay that is now overheating and killing us all, and we can no longer see where we're going. It's a bit bit darker, a bit more on the grim scale, I think we can all agree, you know even the undead are like, you know, getting re- unwrestled, and they're not really all like keen on it despite the fact that they're meant to be undead, they just want to do their own thing mm. and something's messed up with the stone tower and therefore the Akana King is gone mental. You know, it's...
0: It's so it's funny weird. as well because there's sort of... I feel like the redead dead and the zombies and stuff in Ocarina of Time are... one of the enemies that stay with players partly because it's, you're quite annoying in a way, you know, they make you freeze and stuff when they scream but in this game... Kind of feel sorry for them because I can just put the mask on and then just batter them while they're dancing. They don't know I'm there, and that's sad mm. in its own way as well. Like they're meant to be horrible monsters, but it's like well, not so threatening now. I'm just sort of I've run into your home and just picked up eighty rupees off your corpse. Thanks, bye. It's it's not. You don't want like
1: just let them do their dance routine and just like you know what, you guys can really work it. You know, uh, especially and and there's like there's one where they're doing a four like, pirouetted spin. Mm. But then there's a later one where they're doing their own different routine. You know? like, oh, man, that, that took some time to mind, and I appreciate <laughs> the fact that it's so silly. And it's I, very- I love that
2: they went, oh, we've got a year. What do we spend it on? Yeah. <laughs> we need to animate the zombies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's
1: weird because they're the darkest, grimmest things in traditional Zelda, right? Because they, they freeze you and then hump you to death or <laughs> bite you to death, you know, depending on your interpretation. In this, you can make them dance, and they're one of the happiest things, look, happiest looking things you'll see in a dungeon as a result.
2: Um, yeah. It's, so it's just a, a weird irony that it's like, well, we took the one thing that was objectively horrible, mm. like in the sort of horror sense, and we made that the comic relief. Yeah. So so that's the fun part now. So... uh, strap in, because the rest of it's just going to be really grim. <laughs> uh, I mean,
1: was it, Darmani's killed, like, essentially by a giant Goron freezing to death on top of a mountain, right? He yeah, and he just sort
2: off. of fell off. He's just like, well, I was a great warrior, but, you know, w- watch where you walk, I suppose.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but then I think uh, it's... What what I think is interesting about Majora's Mask is... So in Ocarina of Time, they talk about death and you face re-deads and um, kind of and the pose... And you kind of have this image of death as like, this is a thing that can happen. Majora's Mask is like, we're just going to make you watch things die. Like you, you actually have to witness the part mm. where things die mm. and and in fact be involved in it. Right. So yes, that's, that's going to be fun for you.
0: That was something that I definitely wanted to touch on is that in terms of the masks, it's not just uh, what they do for the gameplay, it's kind of what they do for the story as well. Because in Ocarina of Time, you sort of go into these sort of different parts of the world and as an observer and sort of understand the plights of the and the Deco and everything that's going on. But with Majorus Mask, you like you pretty much literally walk a mile in their shoes because you become one of them and you become part of the story. The Zora one, especially I think, you know, as you become sort of their reincarnated band member, um, it's, it's a brilliant way to get closer to the races of Hyrule that they'd never done before. And I don't think they'd have really done quite to the same degree since, because you get to become one and you get to sort of become part of that culture. You are, they look at you and they go, Oh, you are just, you're a Goron. You know, (laughs) I think that's really cool, especially for the Gorons and the Zora, who obviously from this point onwards go on just to show up in near enough every Zelda game. Um, And even when they're not, it, it's the games where they're bird Zora as opposed to fish Zora. <laughs> um,
2: do it's love the play. part as well where you you come back as money and everyone's like, "Oh, heard you were dead." Yeah, exactly. You just kind of like, I wish I could just reply, "I got better," <laughs> and just, just just like give me one option, please. Exactly
0: that, exactly. So, <laughs> and it's it's funny because with the deco shrub, which I think is. I'm sure probably lots of people say this, so it's kind of like the Code Veronica argument, as Steve would know. I feel like it's underrated, but probably everyone says that. I'd love to see them return and sort of that playstyle return and stuff like that.
1: Um, oh, d- d- can I just touch on actually? You know, th- we haven't talked about it, but the fact the Dekus like have a full like ecosystem, yeah, royal so family, cool. and loads of designs, and they look awesome. And I'm pretty sure it's the only game where you get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure. and the Deku princess is a queen, and the fact she beats the living daylights out of her dad is so funny. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> so uh, sorry, I just no, no, you're
0: to- you're so right. You're you yes, exactly. I completely agree with that. But then like. Even all that aside, one of the sort of final shots of the game, if you did the right thing, what I love about the credits in this game as well is that depending on what you did, you may or may not see all of the sort of epilogue scenes. You might just have black with the names or you might have a scene playing underneath it, which is really cool. And one of the last ones you see, of course, is the identity of the Deku Shrub that you've taken on because all of these masters are of dead people and you kind of get that uh, sort of final sad revelation at the end that sort of links back to the beginning uh yeah so i just love how the masks are also they're not just a gameplay device they really do feel like part of the story part of the world part of the theming
2: so oh, the i cows. do love that when you get when you get the ending that's the one that it i think that's the last one it does before it shows you the picture is, of, yeah yeah uh the giants and links scratched into a tree and whatever and it's like right the very last one we're going to show you is this Utterly heartbreaking one that confirms the thing you thought. Right,
0: but
3: right. But if you were feeling happy,
2: because yeah. you know you've seen like you, you get the wedding. I think before that, and it's like I worked really hard for that, so I'm glad that mm. went off without a hitch. Which is, and you think, well, is it going to end in this sort of traditional comedy way? There's an ending with a wedding. That's lovely. No, after that, we thought we'd put the heartbreaking one because <laughs> we wouldn't want you to think that this has been a happy story. Right. Like <laughs> we'll give you sat. We're like we'll close off all the happy story stuff, you know, we'll wrap up the, the story threads. And then the last one will be misery. Because that's Majora's mask.
0: Exactly. It sums it up so well.
1: So is the theory, I mean obviously we in some way, shape or form Link has been given the uh, the soul of the Deku scrub there, right? Is it a case if he was just in the wrong place, wrong time Majora went, you know what? You know it will be a right laugh if I just shoved your face and soul into this annoying blonde kid.
2: I think that's what it is, because mm. um, I don't know whether D'Armani's corpse is anywhere, but obviously Mikau just kind of he dies stays eventually. where he is, and, and you know his guitar gets put there, and that's, that's him. Mm. So I think that Deku scrub was just there. <laughs> he was just wandering around, and now he's a mask on your face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right, so let's uh, wrap up a little bit uh, before we give final thoughts. What do you think of the legacy of Majora's Mask as a question that I wanted to ask? And we talked about the theories, but there's one thing that I definitely wanted to bring up as well um, that needs to be addressed, which is one thing that I think has sort of heavily affected uh, the longevity of this game which is the internet. (laughs) Oh, no. No. Oh, yeah. I mentioned that, Uh, do I have to mention this too? So um, I don't know the full history of spooky stories on the internet, but for my money, this is one of the earliest ones, or one of the ones that hit hardest earliest. It's the one that I remember sort of being the first time this had happened, which, of course, I'm referring to the Ben Drowned creepypasta If you don't know what that is, it'll take entirely too long to explain. So do look it up. It's really interesting. It might seem silly now, uh, but at the time, it was like cutting-edge stuff. Um, People sort of doctoring footage and screenshots to make it look like they had essentially a possessed version of Majora's Mask. And there was hundreds, if not thousands, of people trying to understand and following along with these updates about this possessed copy and it had never been done before keep in mind this is way before like mods and stuff like that um, i don't remember exactly when it was i'm pretty sure it was before youtube or it was very early youtube days um and i think that has had uh, quite a lot of an impact on the game from then onwards because even if it's been forgotten by lots of people um, or not even heard of by certain generations i think Ben Drowned's sort of legacy is making Majora's Mask not just horribly sad, as we talked about, but creepy, just really creepy, and it really compounds everything that's in the game. You you hear about stuff like this before you even put the cartridge in. You're kind of like, yeah, I hear this is basically a horror game <laughs> because of stuff like Ben Drowned. And that's, uh, for me, that had like a huge impact that's kept the game alive. I don't... I would almost go so far as to say, without Ben Drowned, you might not have the demand for Operation Moonfall, as it was called, which led to the 3DS remake, but perhaps perhaps it's a bit too bold. Um, Steve, what do you think is the legacy of Majora's Mask?
1: It's the wild child. It's the one that breaks the mould the most, until Breath of the Wild came. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, it was the one that expanded, I believe, it was one of the few Zelda games that was a direct sequel after the first and second Zelda. Right? I'm not I'm not big on my Zelda timeline, but they always used to feel very just their own thing with a different link in a different time in a different place. Mm. Uh, whereas this one literally feels like, yeah, I've just finished Ocarina of Time, slam the next cartridge in, we're on, let's go. Mm. Uh, so that's a unique thing. And I do think, yes, truly, Ben Drown probably did have a factor in the 3DS thing. And to be fair, fair play to it, Majora's Mask, you inspired an entire internet subculture, because that <laughs> yeah. obviously spiraled onto its own... Horror thing, and I'm not. I'm not against the idea of internet horror fiction, you know, Slender Man and all that crap, the the, the, the Marvel horror stuff, anyway. Um, but when it comes to this in itself, it's such a unique little creature, isn't it? Because you know, it's not just like get all the things and go whack the boss and save the world. You actually have to go around and figure out how to solve all these people's crises, and you assume different shapes and forms. You know, full transform. I don't think we've had full transformative powers truly in a Zelda game since, have we? Zed, you know better than me on this one, right? Um,
0: I mean, uh, the only one I can think of is Twilight Princess, which does feel like yeah, uh, course, taking notes course. from Majora's a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, totally forgot about Wolf Link. Sorry, Twilight Princess. It's because I prefer Wind Waker.
0: Um <laughs>
1: You know, but the same token, like the the best parts of this aren't that for me. Like, the, the, the things that will leave a legacy with me is the faffing about in Clock Town. It is meeting the people. It is learning the schedules and doing a thing, which is, you know, probably not its biggest tentpole mechanic, is it? Um, the horror know. aspect.
0: I don't know. It's a big uh, when, part. When people, talk about, when people talk about
1: Majora's Mask, they talk about the time limit, they talk about the transformations, right? Mm. Or they talk about the horror theming elements. They don't talk about I being suppose. a busybody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's one of the few games that lets you do that. And I actually, you know, maybe it, maybe I'm just naturally a nosy person, and I don't really know it. You know, <laughs> but I, I genuinely enjoy that part about it. Plus, the payoff is that you get the most overpowered transformation mask that I can't believe no one's ever talked about, which is just fierce oh, yeah. deity Link. Yeah, uh, where you basically any uh, if you were a child and designing, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna draw Link, but he's gonna be able to beat Ganon in one hit. And it's going to look awesome. But that's fierce, fierce Deity Link. It's just like some kind of child's cartoonish interpretation of how ultimate can you make Link.
2: So uh, I was 13 when Majora's Mask came. Fierce Deity Link, at 13 years old, is it's perfect. Because it's, yeah. it's just like, this is the coolest thing mm. ever made. And I'm 13 and therefore know what cool is.
4: Yeah. You know. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs>
3: was,
1: excuse me. You know, Super Saiyan Link. With yeah, exactly. tribal tattoos, and he can shoot lasers out of his sword whenever it feels like it, uh, with you know a, a double DNA helix blade. It sounds ridiculous, it is, and you can only use it in boss rooms. But it's great. Oh no, you can fish with it as well, can't you?
2: You can now fish with it. it the fishing thing wasn't in the original. Oh right, that's in makes the, sense. the 3DS remake. They added a thing, and I don't know why. I thought they. I guess they thought, well, we'll just let you fish as a god. <laughs> Why not? So much of Majora's Mask is just, well, why not? And I think when they did the remake, they carried that over. They were like, well, yeah, you go fishing as a god in a mask. Cool. Might as well. <laughs>
0: uh, Zed, why what, not? Do you, what do you think the legacy of Majora's Mask is on the series?
2: So I I loved, I kind of got into the Ben Drown stuff. Mm. Um, but I, what I noticed about that is it wouldn't have worked with any other game. It's yeah. it's because the the elegy of emptiness statue that it's all kind of based on. It doesn't need it, and it kind of goes back to what we said before. It doesn't need to look like that, does it? <laughs> it doesn't need to look like Link is in like a hollow-brained misery stood there. It, they, you didn't have to do that, but you did. So you know the presentation of it allowed that story, I think, to happen right, in a way sure. that it probably wouldn't have if you took it from Ocarina or whatever. That's um, all
1: the. Elegy of emptiness. Statues have a kind of horribly graphic, violent yeah. death nature to them,
2: don't
4: they? Well, um, didn't, he
2: didn't have to, but of course you did. Um, but I, for me, the thing that sticks with me from Majora's Mask, other than Tingle, because obviously it was the, uh, the debut. first viewing, yeah. the debut of Tingle, and he stuck around forever. Um, and it's also, weirdly, a random fact about Majora's Mask, it's the first Zelda game where you control someone that's not Link because mm. uh, it's the first time they're like... When you're doing the, the thing with Café, that's the first time in a Zelda game where you're you're kind of controlling another character. <laughs> um, and it kind of opens up this sort of... You know, stuff like spirit tracks and whatever, and, and all the kind of spin-off stuff that came after it, I think, owes a lot to Majora's Mask, because it's like experimentation, basically. Um, it kind of kicks down the door of, what can we do with the Zelda series? And I think stuff... Like the spin-offs that happened afterwards, kind of owe themselves to that. But I think more than that, the legacy from Majora's Mask to me is that A.J. O'Numa is in charge of the franchise now, mm. um, and this was his kind of challenge. You know, it was Shigeru Miyamoto's like, "Well, all right, you can make a new Zelda game, but you've got a year." And A.J. was like, "All right, cool." And I think if he hadn't, he potentially wouldn't be in the position he's in now, where he's kind of took us through. Everything since then, and stuff like Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, and, and everything else, is kind of his driving force now. Mm. Um, and I think Majora's Mask is always going to be the game that kind of symbolised being able to hand over the Zelda series to somebody else and say, "Well, you 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 run with this now, if you like." Kind of like a passing of the torch yeah. at that moment. Obviously, Miyamoto is still around, and hopefully, he will be forever. Um, but it's it's the point at which Aonuma kind of came into being able to handle this monolith of a series, mm. um, and I think he's done a great job since, and I think Majora's Mask to me will always be, that, that was the moment when our, our modern series runner guy got his wings, if you like.
0: It's so funny as well because, obviously, Majora's Mask has so many things... That traditional Zelda, or rather, it doesn't have so many things that traditional Zelda games have. You know, it's Ganonless, as it should be, obviously for the story and where it takes place. There's no Master Sword. You know, there's no Triforce. There's no Zelda. Some
2: <laughs> um, of the baggage that I think because well, this is a problem. that, You know, Breath of the Wild got rid of a lot of this stuff for its right. like the when you're making a new Zelda game, Twilight Princess had it in abundance. Twilight Princess was like the by-the-numbers by the mm. Zelda game. It was it was the perfect sort of... If you gave it to somebody else and said, design a Zelda game and then make it so that everybody knows it's a Zelda game, they'd make Twilight Princess. Mm. Um, and, and I think that comes with so much baggage and I think Majora's Mask is the one that you should call back to and be like, well, what about if you just don't do that? Yeah.
0: Exactly, yeah. I think it set the stage um, for Breath of the Wild to follow, you know, nearly two decades later. Um, and also, n- not forgetting, of course, with Majora's Mask, once you uh, can-, can take the first mask off and become highly in Link, the first thing you do um, is run straight up the clock tower to try and fight Majora's Mask before you realize this isn't going to work. And that's when the sort of time travel mechanic gets introduced, which, of course, in Breath of the Wild, as soon as you boot up the game, you can run straight into Hyrule Castle, if you like, and fight the final boss. You probably shouldn't, but you can. And some people do. Um, so I think that's an interesting comparison for these games that really do, uh, out of all of them, break the mould the most of Zelda. That um, They both have that kind of option at the beginning. Um, obviously, Majora's Mask, um, it asks you to do it to see what will happen. Um, and Breath of the Wild kind of leaves that decision in your hands. But you're yeah, it's, that's so true about sort of handing over the directorial duties it's so interesting to think this game that sort of stands out as kind of a misnomer for so many reasons like i said all the things that it doesn't have the baggage that it doesn't have but also the the theme and the style that it does have it's odd that this sort of began kind of the next era of zelda games in a way Um, right let's try and delicately sum up our feelings about majora's mask Um, there are a couple things that i didn't mention i think that Didn't completely jive with me. I'm trying to think exactly what they were. One of them I know was... uh, The Water Dungeon is better than Ocarina of Times, of course. Um, You know, they very cleverly let you use the currents to swim around it faster. And the Zora Mask lets you submerge yourself. So you don't have to keep putting the Iron Boots on and off. You know, that's the old joke and everything. I still wasn't massively keen on it. And I thought the boss was pretty rubbish to be honest didn't like it still but other than that thought the temples were really good um overall very happy with the temples and the number of them and such like that the only other thing that really sticks out was uh is it whiz robe that thing i have to fight like a million times wasn't mad keen on that but i think that might be something that you have to chalk up to development time perhaps um sort of reusing that boss fight over and over again otherwise um Majora's Mask has always been as I said one of those games that I held up as potentially my favourite it's always been this and Wind Waker where it's like I don't know they're so like so opposed as well that it's so hard for me to pick Um, when Breath of the Wild came out that made me go oh I do have a favourite Zelda game (laughs) and it's Breath of the Wild so it pushed both of these down I really will have to play Wind Waker to decide what is second and third place I, 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 I really really did enjoy it it showed it's age I'm, I'm happy to go along with it. It's fine. Uh, you know, I grew up in that period of games, so I don't have as much of an issue. So um, as like newer players might have. Um, Wind Waker's lovely. But I don't know, but I really love the dark. It's so hard to pick. But regardless of where it lands, it's right up there. It'll always be right up there. Um, I think everything tied together, starting from what we talked about at the beginning right down to the bottom um, with how everything's just a complete neat but absolutely distraught package of uh, story visual design audio design the theming it's just such an invitingly horrible little game (laughs) i love it so much uh steve what are your final thoughts on majora's mask
1: as probably the, I don't know how you put it, the, the, the uh, lightest on the ground, the less experienced Zelda fan of for the podcast today. As in, my experiences with, with Zelda start in 1993, will live to the past, and pretty much end at Twilight Princess, mm. give or take like five minutes on Breath of the Wild and seeing what Hyrule Warriors The Force was about. You know, I enjoy this game a lot. There, there are some things that actually do get on my nerves that we haven't really touched on what. This game de-incentivizes the main quest so much that every time you think you're about to make any progress in it, there'll be some kind of curveball. Which, you know, in game design, you know, you, you can't exactly expect a straight run to the finish, but sometimes they are arbitrary. Like uh, this latest playthrough, I distinctly remember getting into a counter canyon, and then yes, you need this mask from these two shady bro- brothers. It's easy to get it; you just have to go and race the, you know, the, the evil Luigi's in the course. But the fact that there's so many like, things like that which will snipe you and then take the wind out of your sails, if you're not doing the side quests from the get-go, and which is where the game's meat and bones is, really, mm. you know, it's where the satisfying stuff is, you're going to have a bad time. Um, and as a result, my personal favourite Zelda is still, steeped heavily in nostalgia, is 1993's Great you know, Link to the Past, followed probably by Ocarina, because, you know, Great sweeping Adventure, this, that, and the other. And then it's Majora, and then maybe it's Wind Wicker. Hey, this, this moves around, but it's normally those four. Is the point I'm saying, but Wind Waker doesn't have the the uh, you know the weird majesty of Majora. You know this is the, this is easily the oddest one, even though you know Wind Waker is completely underwater. Like you know the entire world is ruined, mm-hmm. post apocalyptic. Yeah. Post apocalyptic as opposed to pre apocalyptic is mm. what we're getting at. Um It's the most unique, I'd say, but pre Breath of the Wild, right? Yeah. That the, there is just so much strangeness and the fact that, I, as I've said earlier, this is the only one where an actualized real world with almost more real-feeling NPCs compared to the later games. I'd imagine... I don't know if Breath of the Wild has, like, you know, characters doing different things about that, like, set days of the week or whatever. That, that might be a thing. Uh, and it makes it a lot more novel. The fact that this game has so much discussion still about what the hell was going on, the meaning of it all, I think is testament to it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so... With that being said, yeah, it's a fantastic little game, and if you've been put off of it just because you hear about, oh no, I've got three days, don't panic, it's fine, you have infinite days, you just get to rewind time a lot. It's 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 no deal breaker. I, I say this like as loud and clear as possible. If that is the only thing putting you off of it, you are missing out on one of the best. I, 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 it's weird because sometimes I feel mentally trying to picture it as an expansion and it's not. It's its own properly fully realized Zelda game. It just happens to look a lot like Ocarina.
3: Mm.
1: You know? Um, you are missing out. Yes. If you have, if you have not played this game. Like, yeah. even if it's not necessarily going to be your favorite favorite Zelda game, and even if there are some things that will curveball the living daylights that have you, like, yeah, I got to do a Gerudo Pirates Palace now. You know? It's still a fantastic time.
0: Yes, and as Steve said, you can always rewind time, and you can always uh, down a right, down a right, as well. (laughs) Uh, Zane, what are your final thoughts on Majora's Mask?
2: I talk a lot, when I'm I'm doing my game design discussions, I talk a lot about uh, vision and intent, and how it's important to have an intent for the game that you're trying to design, and how much you can kind of try and keep to the vision of what it is you're trying to assemble. And I think Majora's Mask is an example of a game that has a clear intent, that they knew what they were doing from, you know, kind of the first month of development. There's all these ideas started coming together of like uh, a time cycle and and everything else. And I think the intent of Majora's Mask to tell you this story, to put you in this world, to do something that's so dramatically different to Ocarina of Time um, is just so beautifully realised in the marrying of the visuals and the music and the, the mechanics. Mm. Um and Ocarina of Time, it, it's kind of strange. I I whenever I talk about Ocarina of Time it's always as kind of like this reverent sort of it was a very important game. It was the great blah 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 blah. But I wouldn't necessarily if someone came to me today and said, Well this is my twelve year old kid, they need to play a Zelda game.
3: Yeah.
2: Um I wouldn't necessarily say, Oh, you they you know you should go play Ocarina of Time because it's something that you you only need to know the history of. You need to know why it was important, maybe, but you don't necessarily need to play, because it's kind of been done better since, really. Um, And I I don't know whether I'd recommend a 12-year-old plays Majora's Mask, but, you know, I was 13 and I turned out okay. Um, But I think Majora's Mask is the game that I would say you have to go and play. There's no, like, as you say about the time thing might sound like it's putting you off all of the discussion about the Ben round stuff, if all of the hype and the discussion around Majora's Mask has ever th- made you think, oh, well, what if I don't like that because blah, 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 just go and try it. Mm. Because as much as we can talk about it, Majora's Mask is a game that I think you have to experience. It's it's not like Ocarina of Time. It's not like something where someone can just tell you, well, this is what it did, and it did it really well. Yeah. Because Majora's Mask, you have to feel that world. You have to be in that world and realise your place in it and kind of do the thing that video only video games can do where you are actively involved in this. Um, and I think Majora's Mask probably does that better than I would say any of the other Zelda games. Mm. Um, I think it's the thing that... It's the closest that, that Zelda's ever got to one of these kind of Choices Matter sort of games in that you have to be there. You have to do these things and it's it's an experience that you have to have if you want to know what it's about and and no one can tell you even i can't you know i can't tell you what Maduro's mask is about as much as we've tried
0: <laughs>
2: you kind of just need to go play it
0: yes well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash FASprayPod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with the members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and more at FASprayPod.com. In our next Next bonus episode we reload reload shoot outside of the screen as we take a look back at one of the arcades best in the history of the house of the dead you can find the podcast on youtube stitcher spotify and itunes and if you enjoyed the show please do leave us a review where you can it helps spread the word thank you to the panel you can follow all of us individually i'm at sineac underscore one two three steve is at fb steve was taken and zane is at zane does things and finally thank you for listening and have a good week. Ah, You've listened to the end, have you? Looking for that outtake, perhaps? Well, you won't find one. Instead, what you will find is a little bit of extra music since it came up on the podcast, I thought, you know what, let's dip into the unreleased material from The Sky is Falling, the EP that a friend of mine were working on. This is one of two tracks that we finished and we were pretty happy with. Um, this one, there's space for a guitar solo that never got recorded, but from a songwriting perspective, it was done, um, and, and we were pretty into it. It's It's from the perspective of the deku King so it is the track that represents anger on the dab distale so it's 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 very loud and it's uh it uses what in the metal world we call harsh vocals so there was a lot of screaming and horribleness the chorus is quite nice though if you can make it that far um yeah we were pretty happy with this I don't know what's going to become of these tracks they just they've been sitting on my hard drive for so long I thought you know this is the perfect time just to put one out there so enough rambling from me Please enjoy, or not enjoy, (laughs) this bonus track for the Majora's Mask podcast. This is called Punishment.